Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. My name is Dr. Michael David Clay. What a pleasure it is to be able to be with you today on the podcast. Hope you feel the same. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad used to say a lot of things. Um, he'd repeat a lot of things. Uh, I suppose it had something to do with um, not only his personality, his way of doing things, but probably also my own. But one of the things I remember him saying over and over and over again is, why do you have to learn things the hard way? Now, I had at least a father, I think you could take from <laughs> this, I had a father looking back who wanted to spare me a lot of grief. Um, possibly a father who wanted to communicate in some sort of knowledgeable way what he had learned <laughs> in life. Uh, I think more so he wanted to impart unto me a certain wisdom <laughs> about life. Why do you have to always learn things the hard way? There is a wisdom in that. Uh, maybe in a very basic sort of way. Um, if somebody else has already done it, if somebody else has already learned from it, if it's somewhat common knowledge, why wouldn't I just do it? <laughs> that being, it being, that which everybody else did. It's common knowledge. This is the way you do things. Um, I've heard sayings. I don't know. My dad was necessarily one to um, say this uh, so much, but why reinvent the wheel? Uh, let's find out what somebody else is doing first. Then we'll see what we want to keep from that. Maybe we'll make some modifications. Uh, knowledge is good. That's uh, why we go to school. Uh, that's why there's such a thing called education. And hopefully it is still valued. Uh, presuming that the education is sound, fundamentally sound, objective, but knowledge is not wisdom, and the Word of God makes that clear. So I think my dad certainly was trying to say, take advantage of my experiences in life. I've learned. People have educated me. You don't have to do everything as if it were the first time. You don't have to come to some sort of knowledge base without the benefit of others who have gone before you, who have possibly themselves at times had to learn it the hard way. I think my dad, though, was also, father was also telling me, though, that there's a wisdom. And with that, the wisdom might be that, yes, you can and sometimes must uh, learn for yourself. And certainly there are times and occasions when the old ways need to give way to the new ways. Uh, situations, circumstances change. We live in a an existence best defined as creativity. God is creativity. God is love. But love itself then has a creative, um, prominently so, predominantly so, a creative aspect to it. Uh, 
there's something always new, and aren't we thankful for that? So sometimes it is important to not only test what knowledge we have, but possibly learn something new from it. Maybe that's what maturity and growth is all about, is continuing to add to what we already know. But as they say, <laughs> not necessarily my dad, but I've heard it said before, um, learning to learn is probably even more important than the knowledge that education and learning provides. <laughs> Another way that I've heard it said, if a person's hungry, you can certainly feed them. But if you teach them to find the food for themselves, they can feed themselves. Again, that would also sort of presuppose that there would always be food available. Um, I do believe wisdom is more along the lines of knowing how to learn. Maybe my dad was speaking to that, though he would not necessarily use those phrases exactly, specifically. But I think wisdom is much more than either knowledge or just learning how to learn, because that still seems to be sort of leaning toward the side of the human body. And again, developmentally, in terms of maturity, uh, we do have to not only learn knowledge, but learn how to learn. That's part of growing up. Uh, we have to learn how to test things, be empirical, be objective, See things for what they really are, not what we want them to be. Know truth when it's presented to us. But more than that, wisdom is truth. <laughs> wisdom is righteousness. I don't think my dad was much of a person to tell me I had to be a self-made man. And forgive me if that sounds a bit prejudiced or, or sexist, a biased against women. Uh, my dad probably said that to my sister, but in different ways. Not necessarily about the self-made part, but that we needed to do everything that was capable, that God had given us capability to accomplish. He would tell us about his heritage, our heritage, he would tell us about those forebearers, I guess, forefathers and mothers that had gone before, what it meant to be a clay. <laughs> and there is something to be said for that, especially if there's any sort of genuine attempt to be the best that you could be. That's really what he was saying. But this notion of being the best that you could be is limited, at least in a natural sort of regard, to what giftings you have. What you've been blessed with, endowed with, what you grew up with, what your heritage is, whether it's in a lifetime or over several lifetimes, generations. And should you maybe not have the most illustrious of histories, uh, maybe not come from the best of lineages, 
maybe not had the best of circumstances. Fortunately, you don't have to have that to be the best you can be. But to be the best you can be, for sure, requires not only knowledge and experience, which helps, no doubt. That helps. If you can have it, get it. If you can learn it, learn it. If someone's willing to teach you and show you and model to you what it is to be the best man, woman, husband, wife, if there are books out there, if as you read the Word of God, particularly the Old Testament, you can learn what it is to be the virtuous man. Mighty man of valor, virtuous woman, especially as the New Testament, or excuse me, the Old Testament captures certainly the virtuous woman as an attribute even of the man, Proverbs 31. But if we're going to see that in New Testament context, then Jesus is the epitome. First and foremost, as with the first to come, of what everything in the Old Testament inclined us to be. And certainly Jesus had a common working knowledge, education, in the Word of God. He was brought up in it, you could tell. It's important. The lineage is established. It's documented in the record, in the Word, the lineage, the generations of Christ. All the way back to Adam. That's important. Again, I'm not being at all dismissive. If anything, I am validating, edifying. The Old Testament is not only truth, but it's righteousness. It is righteousness as in the right way. And in that, the best way, the most adaptive way, the correct way, whatever euphem, not euphemism, but adjective, whatever word you would want to add to that to emphasize just how perfect the Old Testament is in terms of the completed product, human, man, woman. The Word of God is it. Jesus was it. And certainly the Old Testament was, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in that, if God is, righteousness is wisdom, if God is not only love, but in context to our discussion today on the podcast, as we've tracked it thus far, put it together thus far, he would have to be then righteousness, but the righteousness would have to be established in wisdom by the Holy Spirit, who therefore must be wisdom. God is wisdom. The Holy Spirit is wisdom. You don't have to learn the hard way. 
<laughs> you can. Maybe that's what the Old Testament is. Maybe the Old Testament is an example of all of us learning the hard way. Now, again, it is not, though, exclusive of excluding the fact that it was line upon line, precept upon precept, generation upon generation, that the revelation of God was presented under humankind. What revelation? The revelation of not only right versus wrong, correct, perfection, manifests in a human regard, but it was the only way to Jesus. Now, we could say that as retrospectively going back in our present human condition, which is at the, with the benefit of all of that, generations, all of the knowledge that the Word of God puts together, all the experiences, the empiricism, the learning of God's virtue, His character, His nature, His instruction, definitions for our lives, life and lives. We can look at that and say, oh, then that is what Jesus is, because knowing all of that, I now know Jesus. This is what I'm supposed to be. So you can approach God in a natural regard, Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the Christ, God incarnate, the firstborn among many, as the word would describe it just through your flesh. Now, your flesh won't save you because all it will do is present intellectually, cognitive, psychological dimension what you should be. My dad was inclined to try to teach me what I should be. Now, the advantage he had... What's that? When I was small and young and somewhat innocent, I couldn't rebel entirely against him. I couldn't disobey completely. A number of reasons. One was, I'm not sure I was aware I could, which is kind of good. There's a certain degree in innocence of benefit to not only him, but me. But in a physical regard, I couldn't fight against him. He was bigger than me. He controlled everything. He could put me in my room. He could deny me things. He could give me things. He gave me life. Not only conceived me, but as in my generation, it was supposed to be He took care of me and my family, my mother, my sister, and our dogs, and our guinea pig, and our fish, and our turtles, you know. He was honorable unto his mother and father. It was not easy, but he did that. The best way he could, he did that. But I couldn't fight against him because he was God to me. Before I knew God, I knew my father. But because I knew my father and my father knew God, I had an advantage. I had already learned. You can't win 
against your father. I don't want to test that. I don't want to beat him up. I don't want to kill him. I don't want to destroy him. Now, the truth of the matter is, all of us have to. We don't have to disrespect or dishonor our father or our mother or those who have gone before, but we do have to do more than what they had done because that is part of God's plan. Generation upon generation, within our generation, to be the best we can be. And because of creativity, things do change. And it may never be the way it was when my father was alive. Or his father. Or his father. But what I can do is I can take what they have taught me, all of them, up to my father and apply it. Put it into my life. Allow it to be part of me. And find success from it. Was it all right? No, but the intentions were right. Was it right in its generation, in its time? Yes, yes, yes. Was it human? Yes. Was it part of our human relationships, our human experiences? The physical, the literal, the natural? Yes, yes, yes. Was it the kingdom of God? I don't know. I want God's kingdom to be more on earth. I know it won't be until Jesus comes, but because my father loved me in the way he did in all knowledge and wisdom with an understanding that it was his responsibility to teach me, to bring me up in the best he could, it's not far removed from God. His will, Old Testament for sure. God had no greater success with the children of Israel than my dad with me sometimes. Oh, but that was only until I grew up. Now, with my father, because that was all natural, in my growing up, I had to let go of that, some of that innocence. And now that he is long gone and in years, and I have not spoken to him for so long, I have found myself having to rely upon myself to teach my kids. Well, I have one, my son, your kids. I have two dogs. They act like kids sometimes. But whether it's a boy or a girl, a son or a daughter, whether it's a husband or wife, a father or a mother, it is the same. You do with what you were taught. My dad didn't have the same educational opportunities I had. I think he knew a lot about the world and probably, again, within his generation, what he knew was probably the equivalent to a Ph.D. today. I don't think we've dumbed down a society. I just think that there's a limit to knowledge, and we're probably full. We probably know everything that we possibly could know within the dimension of our human, human nature, our human operations, our human systems of operation, our bodily capability. Does that mean we won't 
ever stop learning? No. Does that mean that there isn't infinite knowledge and that we potentially could? Sure. No. There is infinite knowledge. And we potentially could know everything, but we won't. We won't be around long enough, either, again, individually or as a species. It's just not going to happen. Our humanity dies in two degrees, the first a personal one, and the second one in common dimension, all humankind will one day no longer exist. Now, is that good or bad? I don't know. I mean, I could lament that like I lament the loss of my father. I could lament that too because up to this point, everything historical has not killed me yet. So I'm still alive. Might have been miserable. Might have made me miserable. Didn't. Might have contributions to misery and grief and suffering. But there's been plenty of joy for the journey. There's been good things that have come out of it. I feel that God has been with me. I have found my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have buried my father. One day my mother will pass on. She will too be buried. I have a son who will do the same thing, hopefully, with his life. Start a family. Teach his kids or son or daughter. His dog. But the point of it is, I can look back, and it all looks great. But I don't want to stay human forever. It's not that much fun, especially since I know there is something more. More than knowledge, more than material experience, more than personal growth and development, more than emotional, psychological, spiritual development in a bodily way. My father could take me to that point, but he could not show me eternity in the way that I now know eternity. Not because he did not know that, but it was not yet time in me to know that. When did it become time? When when did, I should say it this way, in time, I-N-T-I-M-E, was it right for me to discern this when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Somewhere along the way, all that my father had taught me had finally prepared my mind to accept that otherwise all that God had already imparted into me. It just took all those years for my flesh to discover it. I had to have my mind as it matured and grew. Literally, physically, it grew. It migrated is the word that is used within my cranium to the place of a mature brain. Operationally, all the systems came online. Now, that would have been in and of itself, again, part of the fall. Some of my innocence was compromised by the mere fact that I began to see things in greater terms than simply the innocence of a child who's dealing with their father. 
But when I did finally get to that point where I realized in the flesh, my dad could not save me, spare me any of these difficult lessons. Especially if the difficult lessons did exactly what God intentioned them to do. It was not to harm us, but to build virtue and give virtue and character in us. To mature us, yes, bodily, emotionally, psychologically. To get us to the place where we could be the man or woman we were supposed to be. Jesus. <laughs> Knowledge, education, experience can do all of that. And there is a spiritual dimension to that, even in a human regard. But it's not wisdom as salvation, as is the love of God, as is Jesus Christ, not only man, but genuinely, truly, authentically Savior. The Holy Spirit has been with us all along. He was the one that inspired the Word. He was the one that showed us, taught us, revealed Intuitively so, unto us when we couldn't see it because of our immaturity, developmentally, immaturity, developmentally, emotionally, chronologically, psychologically. When we couldn't see it, he was still working within us to the completion of the project. What project? Me, you as a person, but all that humankind could be. And what is that? Jesus Christ. That is our end materially. That is our end in bodily dimension, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Look at Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That is what you are to be. But even then, if that's all that is, bodily, emotional, psychological, spiritual development, it's still not going to save you. Because though it would prepare you to receive the Holy Spirit, I would say recognize the impartation that is already there. He's already in you, has already been there, revealing God to not only you, but generations of us. Although it seems, although it appears surprising to us, when we realize it, he's been there all along. But to realize it, you have to accept Jesus as what you're supposed to be. And that is everything about Jesus. Heart, mind, soul, spirit, love God, and love others as you love yourself. It's not about self then. Otherwise, if there were no Jesus, or if there was nothing more than Jesus carnate, the physical Jesus, though a great man, though a prophet, as some call him, not the Savior, then there'd be no saving. 
because there has yet to be anything else that God has either brought to us, minimal or in greatest of magnitude or measures, that represents salvation. I want to say it that way, greatest of measures, because you could look at Jesus simply as a good man and you could live a good life and you could have a good legacy and you could pass on a good inheritance to your children, but you are not eternal. What you got is all you will ever have. Now, God is maybe proper English, maybe not. Tense, past, present, future. But it's not only what you got present tense, but it's what you got historically, which then captures the past. But there's no future if you die. There's no future, at least not for you. Yes, you pass it on to your kids. Yes, I want all that for my son. Yes, there's something beautiful about that. Yes, it's part of God's plan. It's part of God's plan. Bring up your child in the way of the Lord. That's Old Testament. It's part of God's plan. Read the word of God. It's part of God's plan. Learn all you can learn. Be all you can be. Actualize. Do the best you can to bring about the kingdom of God upon earth in earth for the purposes of the here and the now, the physical dimensions. Here and now, time reference. But if you want to be saved, it's eternal. Eternity does not lie in time and space. Time and space lies within eternity. Eternity must have a mechanism more than you to bring you forward into it. When you realize that, you know you need help. And when your head can't put it all together, it's incomprehensible. Too much coming at you from too many different directions, too many factors. You'll never know enough. You'll never be able to learn enough. Creativity dictates the situations change each and every day. You will not have the opportunity to apply the same solution all the time. Now, fortunately, some things don't change, and that's to our advantage. Brush your teeth and your teeth won't rot. That's my, that's my mom's saying, <laughs> my dad's. Do it. Have good teeth. Don't go to the dentist all the time. Don't have to have them pulled. Don't do things that you know you shouldn't do to hurt your teeth. But when your body dies, though your teeth will last longer than some other parts of your body in the grave, it goes the way of the worm. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You are made of dirt. It returns elementally back to earth. That is just the way of the natural world. What lives forever is the Holy Spirit abiding, imparted in, unto or within you. That's your answer. Jesus just said it as if none of us before had ever come to that realization. Why? Because that's just the way God planned it. But when he said it, it was undeniable. 
Oh, we'd caught glimpses of it before. Before I came to that age of accountability, before I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, before I accepted this particular part of the gospel, that it's not my flesh, it's not self-made, it is God-made, God-created, God-ordained, God-directed, God-led, God-edified, God-blessed, The glory is all his. It's not mine. But when I accepted particularly Jesus Christ, my necessity then to give down or lay down my life in the same way Jesus did so that he might, so that I might in him take it back up again so that I might then be more than just dirt or more than just knowledge within a temporal framework of generation to generation, or even such, the right things that get passed on generationally that we still, the Word of God, that we still are asked to abide by until Christ comes again, that is your authority. There is none greater than the Word of God. Whatever translation, I don't know. I, mean, I can understand some are greater, some are lesser. But God has given you in the Holy Spirit, as you've accepted Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, more than the Word, but certainly in the Holy Spirit, which is greater than even the written Word, the living Word within you, the capability of discerning right from wrong. And if you should be confused, read the Ten Commandments. It's concise. It's to the point. And if that should still be confusing, then God made it even easier, as I mentioned earlier, the two great commandments. You can't forsake that knowledge. It's the only thing you got to hold on to. That and the fact that Jesus, which is actually... It is a secondary revelation. You can, again, get to Jesus naturally. You still have to die. <laughs> you still have to say, you can't do it. No matter how good you get in the flesh, no matter how actualized, no matter how much giftings and talents God has given you and doubt upon you, once that is accomplished, you have to lay it all down to Jesus. You have to die to all of that so that the Holy Spirit might take over. But thank God, <laughs> literally so, that isn't the only way. Again, for those of you that do not have great dad or great mom, great legacy, great heritage, whatever, you can be grafted into the vine. And being grafted into the vine means, as the word says, you will produce fruit, bear fruit, not only materially, but the greatest fruit, fruition, perfection, is the Holy Spirit will be revealed unto you, not only outside of you, as in witness and testimony, as with observation in others, but will come alive from within you. And when he does, you'll recognize him. Jesus. You may not know anything about him. You know enough about life. 
Maybe you've never read the Old Testament. Maybe you, worse than that, have been part of a culture that disavowed anything that was religious, anything that seemed to mention such things as God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. Maybe you were a product of another religious persuasion and did not recognize Jesus as the ultimate The first, again, born among many. The perfect human being. The Son of God. But you learned it (laughs) the way that most of us do. The hard way. Dad, you were right. I had to learn everything the hard way because there are certain lessons for them to be real and true to us for them to change our heart, for them to have enough power and authority, more than yours, Dad, to bring me into alignment, to tutor me, to even chasten me. Dare I use the word punish me? (laughs) Dare I use the word with physical dimension? Natural consequences hurt. Yes, I do not need to pick up a paddle, never have spanked my son, thank God. Again, I want to thank God. When I say thank God, I mean it. Thank you, God. I've never physically punished my son. (laughs) But natural consequences hurt. There's probably nothing I could do in the way of physical punishment that God can't do through natural consequences of pain. Literally pain. Are they to abuse you? No. Are they to mistreat you? No. How are they different than me doing that? Because God's intention is not to, in any way, shape, or form, in corruption, harm you. It's to grow you. Now, I can, with righteous indignation on occasions, find myself lining up pretty well with God. Takes a lot of me dying to self, turning my will over to the Holy Spirit, so I do that out of the best of motives. I know the Holy Spirit in me Alive in me is what makes me Christ-like, which brings Christ out of me. The natural body looks like Jesus in physical sense. Uh, He probably was better looking than me, but that doesn't matter. But for me to really have his nature and spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. As it was for Christ, it is for me. That's what makes me Jesus today. The Holy Spirit within me. Christ within me, as in the Holy Spirit. But if I operate out of that, then my son's got half a chance to not get hurt by it. But why would I want to take that chance unless I absolutely, positively have to? And only, I've said that, only if there is a matter, a threat of life and limb, would I resort to something like that. Fortunately, it's not gotten there. But there's been a lot of natural consequences that I just have had to accept and stay out of between him and God. And in the same way, God continues to punish me or correct me, whatever word you want to use, punishment for the sake of correction. I have physical pains. But those pains aren't proof that God hates me. 
or that death is not his judgment against me. It is not the curse of God. It's my cursing myself because I think lesser of God and more of myself. I have fallen into the trap of self-righteousness. Oh, Job, (laughs) I am inclined to want to make sense of it all out of my flesh. It won't work. My body is good for the purposes God has made me for, but I can't run the universe. I can barely run my business. And I certainly then have at times even struggles running my own home. Does that make me cursed? No, it just makes me again. Thankful I have a father. I could beat my dad up. I could have harmed him. I could have taken up weapon against him. I could have slandered him. I could have been mad at him. I could have said, well, you know, despite all this stuff you taught me, it still turned out rough. Or I could have said, all this stuff you taught me didn't help me any. It still turned out rough. You told me, why do I have to learn from my uh, mistakes all the time, the hard way, from my mistakes all the time, by not listening to you when you give me good instruction? So I finally agreed with you, and look, I'm listening to everything you say, you said, you taught me, I'm doing it all. I'm even doing that now in my relationship with God. Since you're not here, I need to turn to him. I need that. And things still turn out sometimes in my own understanding of them bad. That's not true. They just happen. The rewards of righteousness in the material sense does not include ups and downs, gains and losses. Actually, to be creative, there has to always be a loss. It always has to be a challenge. You've got to find the energy, the motive to do something different. Complacency, attrition, inertia is death. You're just a big old blob sitting around wherever you might choose to sit, where you prefer to sit, doing nothing with your life. <sighs> Breathing. But that's about it. Oh, yeah, you consume food and contribute somewhat in that way. But you're not part of the living. You're nearly dead. And certainly, if all you're wreaking is destruction, if you're very energetic, very lively, very much out there, but it's all turned to the negative, you're not helping anybody because you're doing more of the killing than you are of the resurrecting and the saving. And there is a purpose and a reason God wants us to be alive in even material dimensions. But outside of those two perspectives, possibly more, you've got nothing of eternity. To have eternity, you have to be born again. (laughs) Not born again like, oh, well, this is completely new. No, you were born once. The Holy Spirit brought all that about, holy conception. (laughs) Your mom and your dad didn't do that. God did that. Oh, they were part of it. They were instrumental to it. But the conception was entirely of God. God is 
the conceiver of life, humans can't make things happen in that way. We can co-op the power of life. We can put things together that we know in a catalytic sort of way, a synergistic sort of way, produces life, but we are not the author and finisher of life. God is. And in that... Everything is right. And that is all wisdom because, truthfully, the only people we foul it up for is ourselves. But if you have eternity, if you're born again because of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit has come back to you in this way of rediscovery, (laughs) as if for the first time, It wasn't because he wasn't there. It wasn't even because he didn't author it all, all along. It's because in your flesh, in your emotional, psychological, spiritual, bodily development, it got confusing along the way. Your innocence was stolen from you. Devil did it. Took advantages of the natural situations of the material, natural life. The creativity, the loss, the gain, the loss, the gain. God's constantly creating, recreating. You can't stop it. It's not supposed to be. Otherwise, there's no creativity. No life in that sense. Eternal life. And that is eternal. The flesh never stops manifesting life. Life is not in the flesh. Life is not in the elements But the energy, the mechanism of life, that same thing that conceived us, the Holy Spirit, it runs through everything, not in the same way it does humankind, but everything is alive because of the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, even material dimension has an eternal component of life to it. But because God has, again, endowed it, blessed the material, brought it to life, But being born again is recognizing the Holy Spirit is in you. That is wisdom. And second to that, listen to him. Don't kill him. Don't grieve him. Don't overtake him. Don't defy him. Don't be disobedient. Don't rebel. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't try to rationalize him away. Don't try to intellectualize things. Don't try to physically manipulate and manhandle or womanhandle any circumstance or situation in your life. Do it according to the will of God, which is the Holy Spirit, which is love, which is righteousness, which is correct, which is not only Old Testament what God was trying to teach us in the Old Testament, what our parents, hopefully, were trying to bring us up to be, but what we have now seen with full fruition. All of that stuff that we learned, all that knowledge came from the Holy Spirit, who was there all along. It's just that we were blinded by our carnal natures. And really, those don't die until the body dies, unless you would choose To reverse the position, juxtapose the two. Put the spiritual first. 
When you accept Jesus, you do that at two levels. You accept him naturally in the flesh as the Christ, but that really then just is for the purposes of giving your body permission to listen to him in supernatural spiritual dimension as was one with the Holy Spirit and God before he came into physical manifestation as Jesus, the man, in material regard or term. He's been there in you all along. Not only the Holy Spirit, but Jesus just waiting for you to give him permission to release the power of life within you. The hard way is to deny him. The hard way is to rebel. The hard way is to be self-righteous. Oh, don't worry about that. I'll just figure it out for myself. Yes, there is some adaptive dimension to that, even in a material regard, because there is a day for all of us that we have to come to, a day of saying we have to be different than our parents. They can't tell us what to do and help us and save us and secure our future. (laughs) Just have to man up. I'm sorry. You have to leave home. I'm sorry. Nobody's going to take care of you. Your parents aren't. The government isn't. Nobody is going to take care of you except God. And he promises he will. But you have to allow him to. Give him permission to. Open your heart to Jesus. Accept him. Receive him as Lord and Savior in your life so the Holy Spirit can take control of you. Cloven tongues of fire, day of Pentecost. Uh, that was it. I mean, that is a much more, uh, I guess, um, sentinel in terms of human history. Monumental sort of an occasion, especially for those of us who believe the word of God. But it happens in everybody's life. It's your day of salvation. It's your Moment of accountability. It's your day of reckoning. It's manning up, warming up, womaning up and saying, I can't do this. Now, it helps if you're in accord with not only God, Jesus, others first, and then God and Jesus. Because you're not alone. But even if you were alone, all you need is God at least to begin that. And if you do accept God, if you're the only one in your land, in your country, in your home, in your office, in your school, in your nation, in your state, in your city, I don't know where it might be, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're not going to have a lot of companions that take that first step, but God's going to lead you. You're not alone. Come off the mountain, Elijah. You're not alone. You just think you are because you're coming out of darkness into light. But there's many in the light. Are there as many in the light as in darkness? No. The word says, but a remnant. But the remnant is enough. There's an Elisha, Elisha out there. You're going to pass the mantle on. If Elijah had a son, it was Elisha. He passed the mantle on. But it was as with the whirlwind of fire that inspired Elisha to do and receive as was then doing twice what Elijah was able to do. 
and even more what Jesus did. Documented, historical, factual. It is knowledge. No doubt it's empirically sound. You can do it the hard way. Learn it on your own. Why not take advantage of the word? And certainly if you need a testimony, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we have churches. We go around telling people about Jesus and whether they're buildings or this tabernacle we call our body, Jesus is alive in us. The Holy Spirit, he is righteousness. If we have any contentions about what to do, he is the answer. Who should we ask? Certainly read the word, take counsel, godly counsel. Again, there's something to be said for fellowship, commonality of faith, believers. But the only true answer, it's already good news. It's already in you. Good news. Wake up. It's in you. Christ liveth within you. Just accept him as Lord and Savior. Within the context of the pastoral care, the Christian counseling, it's the moment of insight. It's when people finally get the recognition, the awareness comes to them. They can stop. <laughs> we, can, we can do the Job and his friends thing. I can be Elihu. But the only answer that you're really going to get is from God. And even then, because you're human, God can't tell you what you really want to know. Everything. <laughs> Why it all happened to me? Why did it go this way? Why that way? Why not somebody else? How did it all fit together? It's human nature to ask those questions. Nothing wrong. It's inquisitive. It's good. There's good things about it. I don't want to curse it, but it won't save you. The only thing that saves you is when God says, where were you when I put it all together? And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows not only how to put it all together, but he knows how to put us all together as one body, and he knows how to bring us eternity. Not our humanity, but in the Spirit. We will always have a place at the table. We will always have a place, I think, physically, materially at the table, but it's in spirit. But certainly, we will always have a place at the table in the very court, the very holy of holies, in, in the actual throne room of God. But to get there, you have to accept Jesus. To get there, you have to mature. And if not maturity, at least come to a realization. There's no answers in the flesh. Not because there's no answer, but because we can't see them. We are blind. To be born again is to realize what is already within you. I was born once, out of innocence, out of the Holy Spirit, soon stolen from me. I am now in need of being born again. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't see him in the light, that I've tried to present him in today on the podcast, the word presents him in. Consider it. I am confident that if you are objective and you truly are 
wanting to know, it's undeniable. Jesus is the Christ. The only ones that reject Jesus are the ones that have already made a decision before they've heard the information. They don't want to know. For whatever reason, they're rejecting. They don't want to know. But even if you don't know the word, even if this is, might be the first time you've ever heard of Jesus Christ, look inside yourself. Accept that there is something greater in you than anything that you could be in yourself. And I think that is a testimony, as with just life itself, empiricism itself. If you're willing to admit it, God shows that to everyone. Yes, we can put words upon it. Yes, it is best that we would hold standard the word of God. Yes, that's why the word of God is there. But even if you don't know the word of God, you know you need a savior because it's not working. Will it all be fixed tomorrow, overnight? Not in a material sense because it never is fixed until we're out of here. Or if it is fixed, if we are perfected while we're still in material, carnal regard, it's only because the Holy Spirit helps us. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, the forgiveness that Christ represents. That is our salvation. If, therefore, hence, <laughs> you'd ever want to talk with me, I'd be glad to explore this further with you. Uh, you can email me. No matter where you are, where you might be listening to this, wherever in the world, uh, hard for me to imagine there may be any place other than where I am presently that anybody might be hearing this, but should you be anywhere in the world, some remote element because of the Internet you're hearing this, uh, I post my email address. As far as I know, you can get a hold of me from wherever. I'd be glad to get back with you. If it's something that you would desire to handle or conduct uh, the conversation in more personal circumstances than even the Internet, <laughs> I'd be glad to do all I can to speak with you, see you. Uh, but then, again, the best way to get a hold of me is via the email. Once more, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining me today. Hopefully there's an us out there today on What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. Again, I am your host, Dr. Michael David Clay, and I would like to invite you, hope that you can join us again for our next podcast. God bless.